In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Aloha, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey, Nicole. Wow. Hello. I did not know that you were going to say that. Yeah, well, we're <laughs> starting off. This is why podcasting is kind of fun, because we're still recording this in our house, but by the time you listen to it, assuming everything goes well on the plane, we will be in Hawaii on vacation. Everything goes well on the plane? Well, I mean, they don't turn it around because Clay's crying too much. I don't know. I'm having some persistent anxiety around this, his first plane flight here. First plane flight. We don't know what's going to go on. We have no idea. I literally had to look up like how to gate check a stroller. Like I seriously did not understand. I like had to rush order a stroller bag because all my research was like, don't let them just knock around your stroller. And I was like, great. Now I have to like rush a freaking stroller bag to our house. So who knows what's going to go on, but maybe we'll live to tell about it. We'll have some stories for you guys. But today we're going to be talking about a missing piece with regards to vulvodynia. And those of you guys who've been long-term podcast listeners, you have heard most of this series. We are talking about not the missing piece necessarily, but a missing piece, something that has been maybe overlooked, dismissed, Something that Nicole really feels like for a specific diagnosis needs to be a larger focus than it generally is. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes of all of that, a couple of announcements, for, especially for those of you guys who are either business owners or who are wannabe business owners, June is going to be a very, very big month for you guys. So for those of you who are wannabe business owners who are thinking about starting up, we have a business kickstart program that is launching, so make sure to check that out. That's publicptrising.com slash kickstart. That is everything you need and nothing you don't to get the doors open to your new clinic. And then we're also incredibly excited. We've been working on this for probably close to a year now, but the Pelvic Business Accelerator Program, and that is also coming out this month. We'll have more details on that as well. But if you are a business owner of any stripe, whether you just opened your doors, whether you've been in business for 10 years, whether you're a solopreneur or have employees, these are the three pillars of business that we feel like are absolutely essential for every single business owner. And it is something that we're going to be teaching on over a six-month period. It is going to be unbelievable. So check that out at pelvicptrising.com slash accelerator. There's a wait list. There's 50 plus people on it already. Make sure you get your name on that as well if that is something you are interested in and you want to transform your business. So guys, business owners, exciting stuff coming. But now for everybody on the clinical side, talking about vulvodynia. And I think one of the first things to just recognize here, Nicole, is that vulvodynia is just a descriptive term, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, I use it as like an analogy to low back pain. You know, I remember in PT school and, and even 
now still I'll hear people say, oh, the low back pain diagnosis is so annoying because, you know, why do doctors even put that on there? It's like, why don't you do your own differential diagnosis? I actually love that because it's like, well, they're allowing us to do our job. Like we're the ones that need to be doing the musculoskeletal and neuromuscular diagnoses to figure out what the root cause of the issue is and really what the pain generating tissue is. So that is holds true for ortho and it also holds true for pelvic floor issues like vulvodynia. So vulvodynia literally means pain in the vulva. And remember that vestibulodynia is a subset of vulvodynia because the vestibule is a part of the vulva. And so I feel like there are a lot of physicians that just will, as soon as somebody says, oh, I have burning down there and they don't have an infection, it's immediately, oh, it's just vulvodynia. And that doesn't bug me at all. I know some people could get frustrated with that, but again, it's just, it gives us an opportunity to be able to do our own neuromuscular and musculoskeletal diagnosis. If you're lucky, or if your patient's lucky, actually, the doctor will have done a little bit more thorough differential, their differential diagnosis for what's causing the patient's symptoms. That's where we get the hormonally mediated vulvodynia, the neuroproliferative, and the inflammation-based vulvodynia. Those are some of the medical subsets of vulvodynia or vestibulodynia. But for us, that's still, even if someone comes to me with neuroproliferative vulvodynia, that gives me a clue medically how that might need to be managed differently, but it's still doesn't tell me exactly what the pain generating tissue is and what's driving some of that pain. And so we really have a a job to do as pelvic health therapists to really make sure that we are doing our job. Can I just say, how many people actually come in with like a verified subset of vulvodynia where you feel like their physician has actually done a true Differential diagnosis beyond like, where does it hurt? Cool. Here's the Latin word for that. Good luck. I mean, are we talking like 1% or are we talking like 3%? Because I think it's definitely less than 5 Yeah. I mean, it's just like almost none. Right. You're probably not getting any help on that from the physician side. And hopefully it's actually even kind of vulvodynia because that also starts to get muddied with interstitial cystitis diagnoses with... Pedental neuralgia. Like, yeah, because, I mean, there's overlapping pain conditions. I mean, the whole thing... This is why our job is, like, so exciting, though, right? Because it's like there are... This is complex. There are a lot of factors going on, and we're one of the best practitioners to be able to help to differentiate what exactly is causing what symptoms. And all that is to say is that there's also central nervous system upregulation with most, if not all of these patients. And so this podcast could have been a lot of things as well, right? This a missing piece section could have also been the a huge list of stuff. We tossed around, you know, needing to do rectal treatment, that it can be a hip referral, anterior hip impingement, it can be the uracus, it can be lumbar spine referral, and what nerves from there can be also causing symptoms of vulvodynia just to name a few, but I landed on perineal fascia for a reason. And I think it's one of the most overlooked things in a lot of diagnoses, but especially with people with vulvodynia and vestibulodynia. Okay. So why perineal fascia, Nicole? Like what put that head and shoulders above 
some of the other things that we commonly overlook or might kind of, you know, just dismiss or not not pay as much attention to, what made perineal fascia stand out to you? So perineal fascia to me is one of the most important things to assess and treat if it's if you find an issue there, because it can be a pain generating tissue in and of itself. And it also overlays the one of the most overlooked group of pelvic floor muscles, which is the superficial pelvic floor muscles. And then some of the perineal fascia also has like a deep connection into the like abdominal wall. And so it can be so involved and important to address in multiple diagnoses. But again, we're going to talk about it in the context of vulvodynia. I just feel like it's one of the areas that is has so many different connections. It also is overlaying, obviously, the perineum, which also has connections to external anal sphincter and coccyx. And, and it's just a, a very, like, it hits a lot of different spots. Very interconnected. Interconnected, or integral. integral or... Yeah, all of those, all of them. And so, but, and this is why I picked it for a missing piece. I'll share with you a little bit of a story because when I was teaching, I promise this has a point. When I was teaching my interstitial cystitis holistic evaluation and treatment course live, which is all very much prior to COVID, prior to having go online, I had structured the lab. It was supposed to be an intermediate to advanced course. And I had structured the lab in that way. We had skipped over the superficial pelvic floor muscle assessment. We had skipped over the perineal fascial assessment. And we were doing some bimanual treatment techniques that were specific to release both perineal fascia restrictions as well as some internal restrictions at the same time. And I was like super excited to share some of these treatment techniques. And so I go into like the first AM lab and we dive right in and I do my demonstration and everyone I looking back it was like one of the first times I've taught live and so you know looking back I can see that like oh people are a little bit a little look look a little bit glazed over I'm You're like getting well, that blank look getting the blank look I'm like ah, whatever let's just do it so we did the first lab and I could tell you that almost nobody was doing anything correctly <laughs> I was like whoa and I know that there's like a wide variety of, of different backgrounds there and stuff like that. But I was like, wow, we're like not even palpating the superficial pelvic floor muscles correctly. And the perineal fascia is a pretty nuanced technique. So I'm like, yikes, we need to like backtrack. And what I ended up doing was I at lunchtime, like reworked the entire lab series for the entire course, because I was like, holy shit, like I can't teach what I'm about to teach if we can't even assess the superficial pelvic floor muscles correctly as a group. All that is to say is that if we're blowing past the superficial pelvic floor muscles, then we are also not assessing the perineal fascia well. And, you know, we look at it from sometimes with Herman and Wallace one, I was not too long ago, we just hosted it at our clinic and they still teach this damn poking your patient to assess the superficial pelvic floor. And that is, I don't do it that way. I feel like it's quite frankly, pretty dumb. 
to just sit there and poke externally at your patient. And I get that we need to identify the muscles if we were just beginning. Like I understand that, but sometimes that teaching it that way will also allow people to think that that's how you should also assess and treat it. That's not the case. And so when we're looking at that superficial, the urogenital triangle, pelvic floor musculature, and the fascia that overlays that, we have to, to assess those two things separately. Okay, so that's a lot. But let me ask a couple of questions here that that brought up. So one, of people who are diagnosed with vulvodynia, what percentage, you mentioned like, oh, you have to assess for this perineal fascia issues here. What percentage have a problem there? Like, would you be shocked if somebody came in with vulvodynia and didn't have an issue here? Yes, definitely. So like 90 plus percent. Yes. I feel like it's almost impossible to have persistent pain at the vulva and not have this perineal fascia restriction and or pain that's that's also being generated there because there is this very similar mechanism to just generalized inflammation and what that does to the connective tissue. We've heard of subcutaneous paniculosis. I hope that we have. If you've taken any of my courses, you definitely have. It's basically where a localized inflammatory response happens due to pain or due to an injury. And that can create the extracellular matrix of the fascia to become more viscous and just a lot more sludgy, for lack of a better word, which is kind of what I tell my patients. And so that stuff can get really sticky and it can, I don't want to say adhere because it doesn't actually adhere, but it, it functionally adheres. functionally adheres to the different layers, right? And so we have to layer by layer, go and clear what I call clear those tissues. And so we have a a clinical decision to make on whether or not we want to do that first or later into the treatment plan. But at the end of the day, if we're going to clear somebody's pain that has vulvodynia or vestibulodynia, this has to be addressed for those symptoms to both go away and stay away. Okay. So you mentioned that this can be kind of a nuanced technique. Is there an easy way to talk about like how can somebody, if they're not sure or haven't done this before, haven't really been trained, because you just talked about this, right? Is like there is really no training for truly evaluating these superficial pelvic floor muscles and perineal fascia. Like I don't know exactly where you would have gotten that, but how can somebody tell that, hey, the perineal fascia is like an issue? What's like the easiest way to do that? Is that a silly question? It's not a silly question. The way that you can tell it's an issue is you have to, you can feel it. You can feel the tissue. You know how it can feel boggy. It can feel not healthy. It can feel like very similar to adductor tissue when it doesn't feel good or or if you're getting into the ischial rectal fossa and it feels kind of, it feels just not good. I don't know how to describe it. Nicole's like looking at me and like touching her hands. Like I can, I feel I can like feel she's, it. hopefully you guys are like picking that up through you the guys, microphone. Yeah. But. You guys can, no, you, I hope you guys can pick up what I'm putting down, but it, t- healthy tissue, first of all, shouldn't be t- tender to palpation. Thank you to my ortho professor in PT school who I've never forgotten that phrase. So healthy tissue shouldn't be tender to palpation. So if it's tender to palpation, then there might be a problem. If the problem is 
pain related, then there might be a localized inflammatory response there, a chronic inflammatory response there that has changed the connective tissue. It's springiness. It doesn't feel as springy. It doesn't pull away from the bone as well. So again, remember the perineal fascia goes over like the ischial pubic rami. So you should be able to take that fascia and, and pull it away from the bone without it hurting. And if that is painful to your patient or discomforting to your patient, then, and it doesn't feel like it has a lot of excursion, then there's a problem. That sounds painful. You just with you, what you said, if you pull my perineum away from the bone, it sounds like that would hurt. So I'm guessing I've got Don't some, say that to patients. I've got <laughs> Don't some say that to patients. going on here. Right. But again, I, the other thing is that you can kind of think of it like is that for people that have labias, right? So it's also like the excursion of the labia and the vestibule tissue. So it's like, we should be able to take that tissue and move it. And a lot of times it has some mobility in some areas. And then all of a sudden it'll feel like it's stuck down to the bone. It'll feel like it's stuck to the ischial tube, to the ischial rami, to the pubic rami. Like it just feels stuck and it should be movable in all directions and whichever way you want to move that tissue. And so... So is that when you know that it's no longer an issue? If you're a manual therapist, you're working on it and it moves freely. Like, how do you know that you have successfully treated the area if you've now identified? So you've identified that there's probably a problem. First of all, because 90 plus percent of people with vulvodynia have an issue there. Then you felt whatever it is you were feeling through with your hands through this thing, right? But then how do you know that, hey, like it's cleared, it's done, it's good? So it's the how the tissue feels at at the spot. And then also, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit important as well, it's not just about clearing it right at the location, right? We also have to figure out, well, why is it like that? Where's that tension coming from? And that's different for every patient. And so sometimes it's because the perineal fascia is a little bit continuous with the adductor fascia. Sometimes it's coming from the bottom up. Sometimes because the perineal fascia is connected also to the superficial front line, then sometimes then it's because there's something in the abdominal region or the uracus that needs to also be released. And so you can almost think of it like the perineal fascia is the place where it creates the most tension, like that's the most tension place. But sometimes doing a direct treatment there isn't the way to go. We have to almost unravel it from the other areas too. Uh, like if you run with the bimanual techniques, right? Like is, if, right. And like, if you I have a towel right here, <laughs> you can't see it. This is a podcast folks. But if you can imagine like wringing a washcloth, really winding a washcloth really tight. If you try and, and then take the middle of that wound tissue and pull it apart, it's not going to work. What you have to do is unwind each of those ends to make it looser in the middle. And then we can do a lot more. It becomes a lot easier to do that. I'm going to put it, do this post on Instagram. We need to just do a YouTube on <laughs> podcast. We've been saying it for now. And I need you guys to see what Nicole's doing over here because she's... It's actually a really great visual. It, don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you can see it? 
their dirty dish towel over here that we're wringing out. We're almost on vacation, folks. Right. Come on. Aloha, everyone. (laughs) Aloha. Uh, Anyways, but I will put this up on Instagram because this is actually a really good visual of the reason why it's not just about this is the podcast, right? This is the perineal fascia is so important, but it's important to treat both directly and then figure out why it is tense and tight in the first place. All right, so we're going to leave you with that and that promise to follow Nicole on Instagram so you can see her dish towel winding techniques and (laughs) we can go ahead and go from there. But so, Nicole, I think that should be really helpful, hopefully for you guys who are treating vulvodynia. I know it's a complex diagnosis. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff you have to differentiate between. As Nicole mentioned, there's a lot of other areas that are often overlooked as well. Rectal treatment, lumbar referral stuff, either uracus, like the whole hip side. But this, I think, can really make a big difference for those of you guys out there treating this is looking at this perineal fascia, assuming that it's going to be an issue because of the symptoms that are presenting being able to evaluate it and then treat and clear that the way that Nicole's talking about, I hope gives you a different perspective. Or if you're working with somebody and you've hit a plateau with some of your more traditional treatment techniques, then this might be something to look at. Yeah, man. And so another way to just think about this a little bit is that if we know that, because I don't think that any of us would disagree that no matter what type of vulvodynia that somebody has, they might not even get have that diagnosis medically from their physician. But no matter what medically is driving it, almost 100% of people have some form of overactivity of the pelvic floor muscles. If the pain is at the vulva and is or at the vestibule, then we know that the superficial pelvic floor muscles are also at play. And if the superficial pelvic floor muscles are also at play, then the perineal fascia has to be at play as well. And that's the reason why we need to do this. Awesome. So I hope this has been really helpful for you guys. We've been getting great comments back on this A Missing Piece series. We've got a couple more coming up on that. But as always, please feel free to reach out. Let us know if this has been helpful. Let us know if you try this with a patient. Let us know if you have questions, thoughts, concerns. But as always, we want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.